Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Industries Podcast. I'm Oliver Hartwig and today we're joined by our education researcher, Stein Wiederbeck. Morning, Stein. Morning, Oliver. Now, we want to talk about your current project. You are doing research on literacy in New Zealand and how to improve it. But before we get to that, I think since it's your first time on the podcast, let's introduce it to our listeners. You are quite a curious character in many ways because you're an economist turned primary school teacher, which is quite unusual. Perhaps we'll just unravel this. Why did you study economics and where did you study? So I studied economics uh, for my undergraduate at the University of Canterbury. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I went on to do a master's at Victoria University. And then I decided to go over to America because I wanted to live the American dream and see what it was like in America. So I went over and studied uh, and did another master's in applied economics at Cornell uh, in upstate New York. So double masters in economics. Yeah, yeah. You must have really liked it. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed economics. I like microeconomics. I also did some econometrics. So what drew you into economics in the first place? I mean, I know many economists who just want to change the world, and that's why they do it. Was that the same motivation for you? Yeah, I, I, I think that I, I found economics to be very useful uh, for, for real-world problems. It intrigued me. I started off studying financial economics uh, and applying that to electricity markets, of all things, and it was an interesting area. So with a double master's in economics, including one from the U.S., you would have had a stellar economics career ahead of you. And actually, that's how it started off for you, first at the Commerce Commission, right? Yeah, so I came back to New Zealand and I worked at the Commerce Commission as an economist. And that was very interesting. I, I, I liked that it was applied economics, applied to real-world industries. I was working in mergers and also cartels. And it was interesting learning about industries and uh, applying my economics those industries. And you said you, you worked as an economist, but I think you're underselling yourself a little bit because for a while you were acting chief economist at the Commerce Commission. I was, yeah, and it was it was an amazing experience. I was acting chief economist in the competition branch for a year, so, and we had a high-profile high court case at that time, so it was an exciting time to be at the commission. And then from the commission, you went to another commission, the Productivity Commission, which was quite a new institution at the time. It what was. Did, what did you do there? So I enjoyed the Commerce Commission, and that's of course enforcement, so I decided I wanted to, to branch out into policy. So I went to the Productivity Commission uh, because I was interested in applying microeconomics to real-world problems. And because that wasn't enough in the end, you ended up in Parliament too. Yeah, so that was, that was later. Uh, between the Productivity Commission and Parliament, I actually had an epiphany. I wanted to do more meaningful work. I wanted to be more on the front line. More meaningful than economics. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than more meaningful, I'd say... More practical. Dif differently meaningful. Okay. Um, yeah, so it was it was quite a change going from sort of comfortable government job to, yeah, becoming a student again, having assignments, having exams, uh, being in the classroom as a mature student. So you talked uh, of an epiphany that you had, this Damascene conversion from economist to primary school teacher. What happened? Yeah, so I, I, I really enjoyed teaching kids. Oh, many years before, I visited Denmark and was a teaching assistant over there at a school. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I was also doing a lot of... You were a sports coach, right? Yeah, I was, I was also a, a football coach. I've actually coached for about 20 years now. Um, so I was a junior football coach 
in the US and uh, America and also New Zealand. So I really enjoyed coaching and I was also doing other volunteer work. So I was a mentor for Big Buddy, which is an organisation that, that mentors fatherless children. So it was, it, it, I really enjoyed that and I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'd be a good school teacher. So all of that came together for you in the decision to leave economics behind at least for a while and do something different. And what was your entry then into education on the practical side? Yeah, so I really wanted to be a good school teacher. So when I made the decision, I wanted to have the best training available. So I chose to move to Auckland, which I, where I grew up, and study at the University of Auckland. So I did a one-year graduate diploma in primary teaching. Uh, after that, I had to choose my first job, and I chose to, to go to Northland of all, all places, um, up into the Bay of Islands. It was quite quite a change for me. I'd, I'd never lived up there, so I decided to, to go to a, a rural, low-decile school there. And did you feel that the year you had in the teacher preparation course at the University of Auckland um, was enough to prepare you for what awaited you at the school? It's fair to say I didn't feel overly prepared. Uh, I, I think there were, there were quite major gaps in, in my education. I saw that during my training that quite a few of the, the, the trainee teachers didn't make it back after practicums. Um, so they went out to schools and just found it found it too tough or maybe it was teaching just wasn't for them so I'd, uh, I'd explain it as a lukewarm confidence right what do they actually do with you in a teacher preparation course or was it a preparation or conversion course or what was it uh, so it's a it's a one-year graduate diploma so after you have a degree which I had uh, I decided then you just do a one-year course so it's quite it's quite a whirlwind experience you do English maths and um, lots of other courses for example you do arts um, you do drama but you only get very very short short training in in some of the subjects right and just to be clear you wanted to be a primary school teacher I did yeah yeah what in particular fascinated you about that challenge part of it was was not wanting to become an high school economics teacher and come back to economics. Um, it, I just I just think that's where you can have a lot of impact at the start of, of kids' schooling. Um, that's where a lot of important things happen uh, in terms of the knowledge that they gain to set I mean, them up long term. It, it's almost cliche, but these are the foundational years. So what you don't get right in primary school, you will struggle with for the rest of your life. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, and um, plus it's a really cool age to, to teach. The, the kids are amazing. Um, I really enjoyed teaching. And you didn't only teach in Northland. You also taught overseas. A very cool school, I imagine, and it was the Lego school in Denmark. Yeah. How, how was that? I mean, first of all, that's a private school. It is, yes. So I imagine it's extremely well equipped. It would probably be a lot of fun imagining Lego. Yeah, so there's a lot of Lego there. Um, so it was set up by the Lego Foundation. Um, it's quite a young school, I think only... It's when you learn brick by seven. brick. Yeah, brick by brick. <laughs> build up the skills. Um, <laughs> build up, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's, it was a very cool school. It's mm -hmm. very well resourced. Um, the, the teachers are very dedicated. They, they have a particular model that they want to develop, which is called the pedagogy of play. They have... So play forms an important part of the Lego school. Yeah, so so play is definitely an important part of the Lego school, which sort of builds on the, the Lego ethos of, 
of the importance of play. Um, I can really imagine the teacher standing in front of a class of minifigures. <laughs> yeah, so I, I had I had many um, very cool lessons uh, involving robots and and Lego, and it, it was the, the kids were having a lot of fun. I can imagine. Um, I love Lego, so but that was um, a modernist school employing modernist education techniques, whereas. If I understand you correctly, you are in some ways a bit more of a traditionalist in your education approach. I, I think I'm open to different approaches, and that's what really drives me. I want to understand what, what approaches work and what approaches don't and when certain approaches work. Um, so I look back at my own teachers and I see some very amazing teachers, and it's it's true to say that my probably favourite teachers growing up were, were more teacher-led, mm -hmm. um, more explicit instruction, um, but I'm open to different approaches and that's why I went halfway around the world to, to, to the Lego school to, to have a look at a different approach. So basically you're approaching education and teaching with the mindset of an economist, an empirical economist just testing what works? Yeah. Actually, did, did your economics training um, help you then in determining what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, I think I come at it from an economist sort of point of view that I've, I'm very interested in stress-testing solutions. So I try to try to play devil's advocate and look at all the evidence against a particular approach uh, and make and actually look deeper in whether the, the evidence stacks up or not. So after a few years in Denmark, you decided to return to New Zealand, joined us at the beginning of the year. And your first project deals with literacy. And literacy, I think we all know by now, is one of these areas in which New Zealand has deficits. Can you tell us a bit more about the state of literacy in New Zealand? Yeah, so literacy has been uh, declining over the last 20 years. So if we look at it, the international surveys, we have Pearls, which is for nine-year-olds, and Pisa, which is with 15-year-olds. Um, and the scores are declining. We also have a long of underachievement so that's a concern um, and we haven't really reversed that we haven't uh, improved and how bad is the problem if you put numbers to it the the the, the problem is is challenging um, if you look at PISA uh, for Māori students 30% are in the bottom category uh, for Pacific Island it's 36%. I think we've seen it in other surveys as well. We had a study published by the Tertiary Education Commission a few years ago. They had functional illiteracy at above 40%. So these are students leaving school after 12 years at school, and they are not able to really deal with texts. I mean, they might be able to read a few words, they might even be able to read a few sentences, but they're not able to really grasp the meaning of a text, like an instruction manual. Is that your experience, actually, looking into the schools in New Zealand, that um, our schools are actually creating these outcomes? I think I look back at my own teacher education and also what I've seen in many New Zealand schools, and looking back, it, it's not the right approach. It's based on outdated beliefs uh, rather than science and evidence, and it's been quite revealing looking at the the research and talking to people and actually seeing that there is a better way out there. So you mentioned outdated beliefs. What are those beliefs that are shaping the way we try to teach our students how to read and write? So I think 
the way that I was taught at university, it's it's enough to get kids into uh, a literacy-rich environment uh, where they're enjoying themselves and they want to read. And that's a nice romantic vision of education and, and reading, uh, but it actually doesn't work for a lot of kids. Uh, a lot of kids need more, uh, more guidance on how to read and actually putting them in that environment and having them fail is quite frustrating for them. And it goes down to the way in which we teach children to decipher words or whole sentences. Yeah. So how, how does that work actually in the, for lack of a better word, modernist approach to literacy teaching? So, so there, there is another approach um, called structured literacy. Um, and I've been lucky enough to go around to many different schools, a uh, diverse set of schools, and see it in action. Uh, and it's quite inspiring to see how much the kids are enjoying it and the progress they're making. And structured literacy basically is built on a model of explicit teaching. So you're explicitly teaching kids one concept at a time, and it's cumulative, so you're building on the concepts that you've you've covered, um, where a lot of New Zealand schools have a more ad hoc approach, so you're just putting them in a rich literacy environment and hoping that they pick up all the patterns. And to be clear, there are some schools in New Zealand doing a fantastic job on literacy. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And so what you're about is to identify these schools, identify what they're doing, and then write it up and try to share that learning with the rest of the school community. Yeah, so it's I approach this project with a completely open mind. Um, I look at the different approaches, for example, whole language and balanced literacy and also structured literacy. And I try and look at the, the science behind the different approaches because there's a, lot, there's a lot of interesting science from neuroscience and cognitive science and psychology uh, and cognitive development. I also look at it from an economist empirical. Um, there are, have been studies about how effective these different approaches are and also in the classroom. Because I'm a teacher, I want to get into the classroom and I want to see what it looks like on the ground. Hopefully those come together and really show New Zealand a way forward uh, with its literacy problems. Well, we have done a lot of research over the years on education policy here at the New Zealand Initiative. We've worked on teacher quality, assessment, maths teaching, the curriculum. And I think with your work on literacy, you're really adding a very important facet to that body of research. And I really look forward to reading that book when it comes out at the end of the year. But for now, thank you, Steen. Thank you all for listening.